listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. I'm going to ask that again. Just, just for my own benefit. Are you glad to be here today? Yeah. Okay, see, that makes me feel a whole lot better. Well, I'm glad you're here. No, I know. Weeks can get rough, can't they? Things can get, like, mashed up, and you weren't expecting it to be as hard as it was this week. And can I just tell you, that's kind of where I'm living right now. So those of you who have been with us for a little while, you know that we've been studying the book of Daniel. And uh, last week, we embarked in Daniel chapter number 9 which had to do with Daniel discovering something out of the book of Jeremiah that really excited him, but also drove him to prayer. He learned that the children of Israel were right about to be released to go back home to their land that they'd been away from because Jeremiah had prophesied that the the captivity was only going to last for 70 years. And Daniel's like, hey, wait a minute. We're almost there. And so he began the process of confessing sin, being prepared for God's move so that they would be ready. And he's praying on behalf of his brothers and sisters there in Babylon, excited about the opportunity to move back. And then we get over into a little bitty section of a vision that talks about 70 weeks. And can I just tell you a truth? I need about 70 weeks to prepare for that 70 weeks, okay? It's very confusing. It's it's very complicated. In fact, those of you who have ever asked me, hey, Pastor Kevin, when are you going to do a study on Revelation? And I've said to you, that'll be the last study I do, okay? That'll be, y'all will be burying me as I'm finishing up Revelation, hopefully. It's because of this. It's so complicated. And this week has been full of... Shrek for me, okay? And it's uh, just captivated my time, which is great. I I don't mind helping, and I've enjoyed that. But I need extra time. So if it's all right with you, we're just going to punt Daniel for today. Is that okay? Can we do that? Because next week, uh, we're going to punt Daniel because our good friends, the Hernandezes, are going to be with us on Mother's Day. And so he's going to be able to share about what's happening over there in Europe and in the Middle East. And, uh, And then on the 21st, Our graduates, 2023 graduates, are going to be here in their caps and gowns, and we're going to spend some time talking and encouraging them into the next phase of life. So we're just going to just give me about three weeks to be ready to talk about 70 weeks, okay? And that's going to be okay. Well, I hope just today to be able to be an encouragement to you. On the 23rd of of April, in my personal study, I came across the verse we're going to deal with today. It was in a a little study that I'm previewing, a discipleship book that that I would like to be able to put into the hands of those of you that uh, that have been walking with Jesus for a while, but maybe have never gone through some type of formal discipleship. I'm I'm trying to be creative in thinking of ways that we can do that. So I'm previewing this particular resource. and, And on the 23rd, this verse was the focus, was the primary focus of the little lesson and it just, it got a hold of me. It, it, was a, it was an encouraging reminder for me. And I, I remember writing, I thought, you know what? I got to set this aside. We, we got we to deal with it. I think that would be encouraging to the folks. We'll just have to take a little side step. I'll put it off to the side. And then Wednesday night, 
Miss Natalie led our student group, our, our student ministry. We've had some of our, our students teach on Wednesday night. Natalie Morse taught for us this past week. She did. A, that's her second time at bat. She swung just as hard, hit it just as far out of the park. It was fantastic. And a part of her lesson was this little verse. And I went, well, look at that. That's bringing that up too. And then Thursday hit me and I thought, I don't have enough room to land this Daniel plane. And I thought, well, okay, maybe the guy, that's what you're saying is that we need to deal with what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn and give you a minute to get there. Then we'll read what's on the screen. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all, for, y'all done forgot. You say, well, you don't have us read no more. Well, we still do the response. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. Any of you deal with temptation this week? Yeah, yeah, sure you did. Any of you fail in your dealing with temptation this week? Of course you have. Any of you followers of Jesus in the house today? Yeah, and you fight with temptation at every turn. You fight with sin at every corner. Most days you come home beat up, bruised, and frustrated because of failure. Now, I want to try to encourage you just a little bit this morning in your wrestle with sin. I want, I want to try to tell you some exciting things that God has said right here in this verse. But, but in order to get there, let me, just, let me lay some foundation for you if that's okay. We learn in the book of Romans, first and foremost, that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you've if you've confessed him as Lord, if you believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you, you've recognized that Jesus, God the Son, died a death that he did not deserve so that we might have life that we don't deserve. And through his resurrection has made it possible for us to be forgiven by faith and faith alone, trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. When we confess him as Lord, when we recognize him as Savior, believing in our heart that God did raise him from the dead, Romans tells us that we shall be saved. If you want God to save you on the basis of the work of his son, God the son, if you want him to forgive you, if you want him to bring you into his family, if you want to lay your yes down with him, he'll save you. If you know Jesus as your savior, one of the great benefits of being in the family of God is also found in the book of Romans, and that is that we have been freed from sin. See, the New Testament talks about us being dead in sin. The the New Testament talks about us being enslaved to sin. And in fact, the world that we live in, all of humanity has been plunged into sin by no choice of their own, but by simply their connection to the first man and his wife, Adam and Eve. We've been plunged into sin. Not only are we in sin, when we get 
raised up to the point where we can choose right or wrong, we will choose to sin. It's because we are sinners and then we will sin. A dog is not a dog because it barks. I can bark, that doesn't make me a dog. In fact, some Saturdays in the fall, you might catch me barking. That doesn't make me a canine. I bark because I'm a dog. I'm not, a, I'm not primarily a sinner because I sin, though I am guilty of my sin. I sin because I am a sinner. There's no way around it. And the benefit of knowing Jesus as Savior is that we are set free from the shackles of sin. We are set free from the prison of sin. You find it in Romans 3, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 6, 3 to 11. It says we have new life. We've been freed. We're no longer slaves. That's good news. It means we no longer have to sin. We are no longer ball and chain connected to the rest of the mass of humanity that is under, uh, under no help, uh, without hope, going to live their life completely and fully engulfed in sin. We've been set free. That's a blessing. That's wonderful. But you don't read much farther in chapter number 6 of Romans that you find Paul saying, However, you've been freed from sin. You don't have to sin. But you do have to choose not to engage in the same sinful practices that are there around you. In fact, Paul goes into chapter 7 talking about the very things I want to do, I don't do. And I, don't, I do the things I don't want to do. You know why? Because sin is still resident within me. Do you know Jesus as your Savior today? Then you've been set free from sin. Amen? Amen. You're no, you're no longer a slave to sin. But do you still sin? Yes. Why? Because sin is still resident within you. We have to choose to say no to the sin that would love for us to jump right back on the wagon and ride. That's a little bit frustrating, is it not? You say, Pastor Kevin, why is that? That sin residing? Why? Well, because we're still at war with sin. We still live in a sinful wartime world. And we wrestle with it from all kinds of different directions. I want to bring a few of them to your attention. Yes, we're set free. We're no longer slaves, but we are at war. First and foremost, we are at war with ourselves. We are at war with the... The same old lusts, the same old passions and desires that plagued us before Christ are still in residue form within us. And we wrestle. In fact, we read in James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. By the way, if you've got the Oasis Church app, then this is under the notes and the, no, uh, the verses should be in there. You can go back and read them along. We won't take the time to read them. In James chapter 1 verse 14 and 15. James says our temptation primarily comes from our own inward desires. The things that we still want even though we know Jesus as our Savior. Folks believe, and maybe they've been taught to believe, 
that being set free from sin means that he's going to remove all of the sinful desires that I had before and that I'm going to be able to walk in absolute, complete holiness in and of myself. I don't even want that stuff anymore. But those of you who know Jesus as Savior know that hasn't been your experience, has it? No. Now, some things, does he give us supernatural deliverance from? Of course. And some of you have some great stories of how before Christ... I I had these things going on in my life. But when I trusted Jesus as Savior, He set me free from that. I didn't even want that anymore. And you know what we say to that? Praise God. Praise God that He gives us that freedom and releases us from those bonds. But we've not yet been delivered from all of the passions that war within us. We still live in this flesh that's very much connected to this cursed creation. Now one day, the hope is that Christ is going to return. We're going to be raised. We're going to be changed. No more sin's desire. But until then, we wrestle. Because within us, James says, we're being pulled by the things that are within us. And when we fall to those passions, then it leads to sin. And then when sin grows up and is fully grown, then it produces death in our life. So we're at war with ourselves. You know that to be true. I'm going to tell you how I know that you know that's true. Because I know that's true. And I know you're no different than me. And I'm no different from you. I still war with the things in me that are contrary to the move into the life of God. But not only that, We're at war with this realm in which we live in. We live in the realm that the New Testament calls the world. The world, the system of how things operate. In fact, I think it is uh, in Proverbs where it says, there is a way that seems right to a man. Well, this is kind of how life ought to work. And we learn, and the ends there are, the ways of death. Because the way we think is connected to the ways of this world, and the ways of this world are corrupted by sin, and they're orchestrated like a little puppet by the one we're going to talk about in just a minute. We've got all kinds of influences around us in this world, do we not? I mean, we are inundated with how we should think, with how we should act, with, the, with, with what is and is not acceptable. We are absolutely bombarded by the ways of this world. You say, I don't believe that, Pastor Kevin. Well, I tell you what. You just speak up for something that is clearly of Christ and see how long it takes you for the world to remind you that that's not acceptable. And not only that, Evaluate your own thinking. Evaluate how you're looking at your own life and career and family and extracurriculars and all that. And ask yourself, am I following truly the ways of God or am I just falling into the traps that the world is setting out and leading us along in in the play? There's a, a small scene which our Young thespian Alex Shannon plays the Pied Piper. And and he comes in and he's having trouble with the mice, the rats following him. We're following the Pied Piper of the world. The world's got that tune and we just like mindless zombies are following after the ways of this world. Believers have been set free from that slavery. But the tune still makes sense in our ears. The tune is still catchy. 
Yeah, are, are there some songs from your past that you go, wow, that is wildly ungodly? Well, that song is just incredibly not acceptable for uh, worship. But you let that thing get on, and, and you'll be humming along. If you're like me, you'll be singing along. And you'll be like, oh, wait, I probably ought not be saying that. You know why? Because the, the tune still strikes a chord in your heart, right? The world's tune still makes sense to us. And the world gets on that little flute, and the world starts lining up, and if we're not careful, we'll fall right in line. Why? Because we're at war with the world. We're at war with our own desires. We're at war, number three, with the one who has been temporarily allowed to guide the way of the world. The reason I say temporarily is because the ruler of this world, the, the, the prince of the darkness around us, is not equal to his creator. But he is a very powerful being that God has allowed for a temporary period of time to be in control of the ways of the world. And we learn from Genesis chapter number 3 that not only is he interested in orchestrating the ways of the world, he's interested in personally attacking the ones that God has made in his image. What did he do? He went right straight up to the man and his wife and said, So, tell me about what God said to you about the food that you have to eat. And as they began to tell him what they thought God had said, which they got all messed up, he said, Wait a minute, about that, about that uh, tree that you're talking about. God tell you you're going you're gonna to die over that? You're not going to die over that. In fact, God knows if you eat of that fruit, you'll be like God. And he don't want anybody to be like him. He's jealous like that. So he just told you a lie. And when the woman saw that the food was, well, it, it does look good and it does seem appealing. I bet it is juicy and I would love to be like God. She took, she ate, she handed it to her husband. He ate and the rest, they say, is sinful history, right? We want to throw Eve up under the bus. At least she was deceived. Adam just took and ate. Duh plunged us into sin, and that's where we are. That enemy not only is orchestrating the way of the world, that enemy is interested in the personal attack of you and me. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, Paul calls him the tempter. Peter calls this being like a roaring lion seeking to do what? To nuzzle up against you? No, to devour you, to destroy you. Especially if you know Jesus as your Savior, what the tempter, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, and his hordes, what they're interested in doing is enticing you into the things that are already resident within you and enticing you into following the way that you used to follow before Christ because he knows if he can get you knee-deep in sin, he's got you defeated, he's got you discouraged, he's certainly made you dull and ineffective in your responsibility and opportunity to represent Jesus. Now, I want to know, how many of you have lived longer periods of your life than you want to admit? Unaffected, 
discouraged and frustrated because sin crept into your life and as a child of God, you just were mired up in it. I dare say every one of you. Because so have I. We all face temptation. We all are at war with sin. But this little verse right here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 just excites me to no end. And here's what he says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. First and foremost, whatever you're facing as a follower of Jesus, whatever temptation, whatever lure to sin that you are struggling with, this little verse says, it's not unique to you. Like you're thinking, boy, I tell you what, devil's got my number. Well, your number's like five because there's only like a five-trick deal. It's old stuff. It's not common to, it's not unique to you. It's common. He's been using this same old trick over and over and over and over again. It's not unique to you. Everyone faces them. Even Jesus himself faces them. We find in Matthew 4, we find in Luke chapter number 4, we find in Mark chapter number 1 that Jesus went up into the, into the hills, hill country and, and there he had been fasting and that, that Satan came and tempted him. Tempted him with the, with the lust, the desires of his eyes. I see you're hungry, Jesus. Wouldn't you like to turn some of those stones to bread? Sure would satisfy that hunger. Jesus said, you, you, you just don't understand, Satan. God's Word says man shall not live by bread alone. All right, then. Well, come here. I want to show you something. He takes him up to the top of the, uh, of the, of the temple. And he says, look here. If, if, if you'll just jump down, the Scripture says that the angels will come and capture you, catch you before you even fall. Show these people that you really are who you say you are. Give them a, an undeniable, these little bread that you're doing, these little healings you're doing, yeah, they can deny that. Jump off the temple, let a horde of angels come catch you. Ain't nobody going to deny that you're the Messiah. Let's just put that to bed right now. Jesus says, God's Word says, you don't tempt the Lord your God. Oh, well, in that case, let me show you one more thing. He takes him to a high mountain, wherever that was at. He showed them all the kingdoms of the world. And this I find funny. Satan looks at God the Son, who knows the rules. He knows what he set in place and in mind. He knows everything. And he looks at him and he says, Jesus, I want you to see all these kingdoms. Can you see them all? Uh, yeah, I can see them all. You know, I, I, you know I've got authority over these, don't you? You're like, Yeah, I gave you that authority. It's temporary. You remember I was there, right? Yeah, you see all them? Look. I will let you have all those kingdoms and you can avoid all this crucifixion thing, all this death stuff that you're going to have to end up. I'll let you go ahead and have it. All I need you to do is to bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall only worship the Lord your God. Get away. And Satan left him. God provided for him. Look. The temptations that you're facing, boy, I just, this is unique to me. I bet I'm the only one that faces that. No, you're not. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that Jesus was in every way tempted. 
just like we are. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't sin. He understands our wrestle. He understands our war. He understands what you're going through because he too has been, he's been tempted. But he avoided temptation. You say, yeah, but he's God. Okay, fair enough. But God's got more to tell us. He said, not only is the temptation you're facing not unique to you, it's common to man. He tells us in this verse that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, some people take this verse and they'll say, God never puts on you more than you can handle. And you see those memes all over Facebook, and that's just a lie. That's not true. God will put on you and me way more than we can handle as far as difficulty and aggravation. And you know why he does that? So that we will run to the Father. So that we'll allow him to carry it for us. He put way more on us than you and I can carry, but he will never put more on us than he can carry for us. So when you see those memes, you don't take those posters down. That's not true. But when it comes to temptation, what God is saying is, when we face temptation, God is a regulator of the temptation. What is he saying? You know, like regulator. It, it, you turn the knob and it allows it to, however much of whatever substance to pass through uh, the, 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 the thing. All right? And so... Y'all know what it is. It's off the cuff. I can't. And so he regulates how much temptation gets your way. Well, now what that'll cause you to think is, well, in that case, that means God is in control of the temptation, so God must be the source of the temptation. James goes, no, no, no. No, James 1.13 says, when you're tempted, remember, that's coming out of you. The, the, the desire to do what you ought not do, that's resident with you. Don't ever say that I'm being tempted by God because God can't be tempted and God cannot tempt. God's never going to entice you to do something that is contrary to his holiness. But in a realm where temptation is a reality, God sovereignly takes his hand and says, only what I let you do. God regulates the temptation so that we can't turn around and go, Pastor Kevin, I just couldn't, I couldn't help it. Yeah, it was just, it was unavoidable. There, there was nothing I could do. The temptation was so strong that I just could not help myself. God goes, that ain't true. And I'm not saying it wasn't powerful. I'm not saying it wasn't a huge challenge. I'm not saying that that temptation did not come at you in a vulnerable moment when you were susceptible to falling and it didn't tap into something that you really struggle with. But I can tell you this, you didn't have any more of it than I knew you could handle. Because I regulated. I, look, I'm in control of this one called the tempter. His rule is temporary, and when I get done with him, I'm going to take care of him. And I'm also in control of him. I'm not going to allow you to be tempted more than you are able. Well, okay, so my temptation is common. It's not unique to me. Others have faced it. Even my Lord has faced it. Okay, so this is an old bag of tricks. It's, it's just repackaged. It's kind of like the way I drum. I only know like four patterns, and I just repackage that in different. So y'all don't know the difference, so I'm just doing I'm just fooling y'all. It's got four or five tricks. He repackaged. Okay. 
All right, so I'm not having to learn a whole new playbook. No, I've been running the same plays throughout human history. Okay. And God's not going to allow me to be tempted more than I'm able to effectively address. That's right. But wait, there's more. The verse says, he's not only faithful not to let you be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. A divine escape hatch, if you will. Where you're like, I don't know what to do about this. I'm feeling very vulnerable. I don't know where to go. My back's against the wall. God says, no, it's not. It's backed up against the door. Oh, but I can't get out. Yes, you can. Turn the knob. But I can't see the door. Well, just feel around. Find it. Open up. Go out to hatch. I've provided you. Not only am I faithful to keep it from being more than you can do it. I've provided you an out, if you will. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to escape the temptation. That thing will probably find you the next day or maybe 20 minutes from then. So it's not so much an escape away from the temptation, but it is an answer to the temptation. It is a, it is a resource that you and I have been given by a faithful God, to address what's coming at us. So I just want to ask you, what is the most common temptation you face? And I'm going to give you a second. What it is, is that thing that you're consistently coming back to God with, saying, it's me again, Lord, and I need to confess this again. And can I just tell you, you'll never reach the end of God's grace when you come confessing that that you have failed at again because God's grace is never ending. It's more than we can ever use up. And when we fall to temptation and sin, our remedy is to go to Him with repentance and confession, with confidence in His restoration, that because of what Jesus did, we don't only get to be brought into the family, but we get to be made right when we make blunders. So we're going to keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing it. But what if every now and then we might could avoid that? So what is your go-to temptation? You got it? You know what it is? Okay. I'm not going to ask you to tell us. God says, I will give you a means to overwhelm that temptation. An escape, if you will. A way out. And I just want to go through these as we conclude this morning just to encourage you with all the tools that you may already know you have but might not be using. Or maybe some of these are going to be tools you didn't even know were available to you. But I want to go over one, two, three, four, five, six escape hatches, six doors, six tools from a faithful God that says, if you will just use what I give you, 
You don't have to fall to that temptation. You don't have to fall into that sin. You can walk in freedom. You can have victory. It might be something that you have to fight every day of the rest of your life. But my grace is sufficient for you. Here they are. Number one. God's omnipresence. The follower of Jesus has at their disposal the presence of the one true God. Now, you say, yeah, yeah, I know that. Well, hold on. Just allow your mind to imagine the vastness of our universe, if you will. Just allow it to realize how far these light telescopes have looked into space Waiting on the light to travel however far away it is to hit the lens so that we can actually see that star. And scientists say that some of those stars, are they're just coming hundreds of thousands of light years away. And it's just that light is traveling and we're just now seeing things that maybe have been traveling toward us in light from the beginning of when God spoke it into existence. That God is what I'm talking about. That God that has created something that we will never be able to fathom just in our universe. And then when you start looking at things under a microscope, and you get smaller, and you get smaller, and you get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and smaller you start recognizing, man, you would think the smaller I look, the more simple it becomes. The reality of the fact is, the farther down we look, the more complicated it is. And like, how do you fit all those things into that little thing underneath that other thing? How in the world does all that work together? God's like, me. Or, or it just blew up, if that's what you want to go with. But man, you got more faith than I'm asking you to have. You go with that. Me. That God. That God is present with you, his child. All the time. You say, how you know that? Well, Psalm chapter 46, verse number 1 says this. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. God is with you. Now, at this time, when the psalmist wrote, he, he hadn't even started putting together this idea of one God existing in three persons. Now, we, we, we're so privileged to be able to look back and, and to see how God has revealed himself. At this time, the psalmist is just going, there's just one God. I know that. I know there's one God, and I know that, that he has set us apart, and he loves us, and, and, and I know that he's always present with me. Psalm 139 tells us that no matter where I go, highest mountain, lowest hell, deepest sea, east and west, I can't get away from him. Because he's always present. God the Son also says something about that. As he was about to ascend back into glory, having completed the, the payment for sin, having, having defeated death and hell and, and provided redemption, now he's going back to the Father. He made a statement. Verse number 20 of chapter 28 of Matthew, the last sentence he says is, Oh, and by the way, I'm with you always. Even till the end of the eye. Look, I'm going away, but you can't get away from me. Because I'm, I'm aware of you. 
I'm always with you. Father is always with us. Son is always with us. John 14, 16 and 17, as Jesus is preparing them for his going away. And I know you don't get that when I go away, I'm still very much aware of you, even though you can't see me. And I know you don't get that, so I'm going to tell you something else that will blow your mind. You want me to go away because if I go away, God's going to send you the one that nobody knew about. Nobody was aware of. He's the comforter. He's the spirit. And he will be with you, verse 16, forever. Verse number 17, the spirit of truth. He will dwell with you and he will be in you. Now you tell me how it is that the God that made everything we won't ever be able to explore is present present in me and in Nathan Schultz. Because I only see Nathan a couple times a week. He's going his way, and I'm going my way. Al's going his way, Tammy's going her way. How in the world is it that the God of creation is within me and all the rest of y'all at the same time? I'm going to give you something for free today. You didn't know you was going to learn. I'm going to tell you. You know how how that's possible? I don't know. (laughs) You don't either. But God says, if I can make all that, if I can do all that I have done, It ain't going to be no big deal for me to be present within all of my children in the person of the Holy Spirit. So guess what we have as that I'm backed up. Where am I going to go, Lord? He says, just recognize you're not alone. Now, if you're like me, man, is it 1145 already? Doggone it. If you're like me, you probably didn't get in most of your trouble by yourself. It probably was in the, in the move of someone going, hey, let's, and then you fill in the blank. That's where I got into most of my trouble, was when someone said, hey, let, and not only that, I got some folks in trouble when I went, hey, you wanna, and then fill in the blank, right? Because we're typically with somebody. But one of the other sides of that coin is, is that I find that when I'm with someone who's gonna go, I ain't doing that, that's stupid then the chances are better that I'm not going to do it either, right? So just think about it. Anybody going to do something dumb with daddy standing right beside you? Probably not. If we recognize the omnipresence of God in this temptation, boy, it's tough. But wait, 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 wait. I know. Yes, yes, yes. You got my number. That's what I want. And that sure does look enticing. And that, yes, that taps into what I want. But... God's regulating that. And I know you're not pouring more on me than I can handle, especially when I got my heavenly father, my savior big brother, if you will, and the Holy Spirit resident. Can we handle this? And they're always going to go, please, can we handle this? A way of escape. We not only have the presence of God, we have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, when you walk by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. We have at our disposal the Word of God. Ephesians 6.17 calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit used to defeat. It's how Jesus defeated temptation in His own life. We have prayer. Matthew 6.13, the model prayer. Jesus tells us that what you need to ask it, that God will not lead you into temptation, but deliver you. 
you've got the opportunity to go, God, I'm in temptation. I need you to deliver me. He's already with you. Just talk to him about what you're facing, knowing that it's not more than you can handle. We have the accountability of others. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's one of the best tools God gives us is each other. If we'll lean on each other when things get hot, stuff gets hairy, and we pick up that phone and say, Charlie, I'm struggling, brother. I'm just, I'm having a bad day. I'm angry. If I don't get this thing under control, I'm probably going to say something I'm going to regret. And my brother, who's not facing it with me, will go, well, you remember whose you are and who's with you. You remember what God's Word says, and he taught me off the fence. The accountability of others, we need it. And then lastly, I love this one from 2 Timothy 2, 22. Paul told Timothy, you get around some things that seem a little too enticing for you from your youthful lust. You know what you need to do? Flee. Run. Get up. Get out of the situation. You get that little twinge in your spirit that says, I ought not be here. Listen to that and get your fanny out of there. Run! Turn around! Well, I've already paid for it. It doesn't matter what's worth. Worse, wasting 50 bucks? Or having sin break the heart of someone or, or have to go and apologize or have to go ask God to forgive. So run! Get up! Look, do you wrestle with temptation? Yep. Do you fail? Yep. Do you have to? No. Stand with me. You don't have to because God's made a way for you. A way of escape. A way to stand up to sin by His grace through His power. And we can say no. So that's our challenge this week. When we face it, and you will, say no. But I want to. No. I have a Father who loves me. I have a Savior who's with me. I have a Spirit who's guiding me. I have His Word that is truth. I have the tools that I can use to stand. I've got brothers and sisters who love me. And I've got a pair of shoes on my feet that I can put to use for God's glory. Amen? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, today would be a great day to know Him. He can only be known by faith, trusting in what Christ has done for us. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the promise that while temptation is a very real thing that we're going to face until you bring all of your purpose to completion in the return of Christ, the resurrection, that we won't have to deal with this. But we're not dealing with a, a fatal thing here. We're dealing with a defeated reality. Sin. Give us the courage to address it as such. It's defeated. It does not have to have the rule over us. Give us the courage to take the route, to take the escape, to take the tool that you've provided to stand against ourselves, the world, the enemy, for your glory. Now, God, we ask that you'll use us today. Show us your purpose for our lives this day, and then give us the courage to step into it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, 